This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our win over Sampdoria on Thursday. And in part two, I'll preview our match on Sunday against Cagliari. So let's start with the Sampdoria match. I have two guests to help me with this review, but this will be a little bit different than our usual panels of Napoli fans. I have a Sampdoria fan and a neutral joining me today, so we should have a broad range of perspectives. I'll start with the Sampdoria fan. He is a writer for ForzaItalianFootball.com and Breaking the Lines. He is also one-third of the Forza Italian Football podcast with Connor Clancy and Kev Pujelski. Vito Doria, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thanks, Joe. Glad to be on and, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, having this discussion, although the result was disappointing from some perspective, but uh, it's always great to interact with all different people who cover Italian football and uh, analyze the game. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on and and definitely thank you for being a good sport and still coming on the pod after a, a tough match. I don't know if I would be able to do it myself, but we appreciate you coming on. Of course, we're going to talk about that match, but first let me introduce our other guest who's making his second appearance on the podcast. He is a digital journalist for Stats Perform and Opta Analyst. Sasha Pisani, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, and it's uh, good to uh, jump on the uh, Napoli hype train again. Yeah, exactly. It's It's been a fun ride so far. So let's get to the match. I'm sure everyone knows by now, but Napoli won 4-0 on goals by Victor Osman, who scored a Dopieta, Fabian Ruiz, and Piotr Zielinski. Let's start with the lineups. Sampdoria lined up in a 4-4-2 with Emil Audaro in goal. Bartosz Berzinski, Maya Yoshida, Omar Kali, and Tommaso Algello played as the back four. Adrian Silva and Morten Thorsby played in the center of the midfield with Mikael Damsgaard and Antonio Kendrev on the wings. 
and Fabio Cagliarella and Chicho Caputo played together up top. Vito, this was pretty much Sampdoria's regular starting 11, I would say. Were there any surprises here where you may be expecting to see some more rotation given the short rest? Not particularly. Although there was a short-term gap between games, I thought that uh, Roberto D'Aversa, the Sampdoria coach, decided to stick to what is familiar to him so far, what's familiar to his squad. And after winning resoundingly against Empoli 3-0 on uh, Sunday, it was probably more than understandable to see why he would just prefer to stick with a tried and tested lineup. Yeah, that makes sense. The only change I thought we might see was maybe Albin Ekdal starting over Adrian Silva because the two of them are pretty interchangeable, I would say, and one is more rested than the other. But I agree, you know, coming off a good win against Empoli, why not stick with the same players? And also, it's still early in the season. I think we're seeing that with a lot of coaches right now, especially clubs that have new coaches that you don't want to tinker too much with the lineup when guys are still kind of getting used to playing with each other, right? True. In the early stage, especially for Diversa, who had a disappointing second spell at Parma after doing so well the first time around, I think he just wants to get that familiarity help the team develop an identity. And I think there is a clear style of play that Sampa are trying to implement. And uh, it looks like the players are buying into his ideas. Unfortunately, the draw so far has been tough for Sampdoria, to say the least. And uh, I think with something, they just got to go out and face whoever they come across in the best way they can. Absolutely. Let's get to the Napoli lineup. We lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with David Ospina in goal. Giovanni Di Lorenzo, Amir Rachmani, Kaladu Kulibali, and Mario Rui played as the back four. Frank Anguisa and Fabian Ruiz played in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing, and Chucky Lozano started over Matteo Politano on the right wing. Piotr Zelinski returned to the starting 11 to play in the number 10, and Victor Osman started again up top. Like Sampdoria, there weren't too many surprises here. The only player I wasn't expecting to start was Amir Rachmani. That's three consecutive matches for him over Kostas Manolas now. Rachmani was replaced by Manolas in the second half, though he blocked a hard cross by Ojello in the 36th minute and stayed down for a little bit. He played through that pretty much through the first half and a little bit into the second half, but then after another header, he went back down again and had to be taken out. Friday's training report said that Rachmani underwent a neurological examination and diagnostic tests at the Pinata Grande Clinic which came back negative, so hopefully that means he's okay. I wasn't too surprised to see Lozano start over Politano for reasons I discussed in my preview. Politano could use the rest, plus he took a little bit of a knock in the Udinese match, so I figured he might be a little bit sore from that. I also thought Lozano's pace would be useful against Damsgaard playing on that side. Lozano's clearly back to full fitness now after missing the entire summer with injuries. I didn't mention in my preview that Lozano scored that goal against Udinese, And it seemed like Spalletti was quite happy with his performance off the bench. So this might have also been a way for Spalletti to reward him for that. One thing I didn't consider, though, in my preview was that there's a potential mismatch between Lozano and Tommaso Algello at left back, which I'll get to in a little bit. But I want to start with the first goal. Vito, I imagine you weren't too impressed with that whole sequence and how it played out. No, not at all. Uh, for starters, you had Algello on the left flank trying to pass the ball to Silva, and then Silva botched the ball control. Then Ossiman just completely switches the ball to the left to Insigne, 
you know, and he basically bypassed like at least three defenders, maybe four defenders with that pass. And then Insigne had enough time to pick out a fantastic cross. Uh, more than anything, though, I really blame Emil Dero on that goal because I think his positioning on that goal was rather disappointing. In hindsight, he perhaps should have uh, ran a bit more differently or dived in a different direction so he can actually cover that back post better. The way he positioned, he essentially guided the ball into the net. So although it wasn't something that slipped through his hands, but the way he just dived at it and how he was positioned meant that even if he tried to claw the ball out, the ball was already over the line. So to me, I put that down as a goalkeeping error more than anything else. I have a few thoughts on that as well, but I want to get Sasha, your thoughts on this as well. What did you make of this play and, and how this goal played out? Well, it just highlights just how deadly, you know, Napoli are on, on the counter. When, once they have that pace to sort of, in open space, they're, they're going to tear teams to shreds. You know, the goalkeeper probably should have done better at the, you know, that, that, that post. But just going back to that lineup as well, it's not bad to have, you know, Zlinski coming back into the, into the 11, player of his quality. And I just feel as well, like with the you know the defense, I think Manolas is going to struggle to get back into that into that centre back pairing. Give you know the the speculation during the off season, it's probably going to take you know like an injury to Rakmani to to get him back in, and he probably has it has it worked out as he would have liked when he first came over. But in terms of that goal, it just highlights just how good you know Osman, you know him being fit again is like a new signing really, and I think. We touched on it last time, but I think if he was more fit in, you know, stayed on the pitch last season, they probably would have qualified for the Champions League. And Gattuso might have still been in the job, but it's just great to see him fit and firing. I'll give you my take on Aldero, and I'm probably letting him off a little bit too easily, but I felt like he was expecting Osaman to make better contact with that ball because it looks like he dives early almost so that when the shot gets to him, he's halfway in the goal and the ball kind of bounces awkwardly on the line. I guess to Vito's point, if he had taken a different route to that ball or dove not towards the goal itself, because his momentum is kind of bringing him into the goal. So even when he has the opportunity to make that save, it's hard for him to to keep that shot out. But yeah, I think you have to put most of the blame on Audato, which made me look like a bit of an idiot because in my preview, I was talking about how great he is and how underrated of a keeper is. And I still do think he's one of the best keepers in the league, especially with a couple of our better keepers leaving the league. That said, I think Osman does deserve a lot of credit. I think it was his press that forced the initial turnover. I think it was Algello that, that plays the ball to, uh, I think it was Adrian Silva who then turns the ball over. And I thought it was, pretty unselfish both of Osiman and Insigne on this play because Osiman was 1v1 with Omar Kali there and with space I don't think anyone would have a problem with him trying to you know push that ball past Kali and and run into space and go for goal himself likewise when he passes to Insigne 99% of the time he's cutting into his right foot and trying that curler but he instead elects to play this delicate chip to the back post and Osiman does really well to get to that ball Sasha Osman has scored two goals against Leicester City in the Europa League, then one against Udinese, then two in this match. That's five goals in three matches, all the way from home on top of that. As a neutral, I mean, you mentioned how exciting it is to see him kind of firing now, but as a neutral, were you expecting this kind of start from the young striker? Um, well, if you haven't been on the, the Osman train, there's still time to jump aboard, but 
it's been fantastic. You know, there was a lot of question marks in terms of the, the, you know, the fee they spent on him when he came across from France. You know, is he worth the money? The interrupted season last season, as I touched on, wasn't ideal. But every time he's played, he's been a handful. His pace, his score, he's probably exceeded my expectations a little bit. With Insigne as well, you know, those two players combining, um, he's like a new signing. It's the same as Lozano as well. He's had injury issues as well and, you know, fitness concerns. And when you have the quality of those guys to come into a squad, I think it's more, based on current form, with Osman, the way he's playing, I think they're definitely a Scudetto challenger at the moment. To if the, the, the number one thing is to stay fit, and that's the biggest concern with him. But if he stays fit, I can't see why they wouldn't be challenging for, for the top, you know, and that based on that sort of kind of form. Yeah, after these last two 4-0 victories, a lot of people are now putting Napoli in that discussion. That I believe it can happen, but I'm a little bit more reserved than I think most people. And, you know, I, I still want to see us play against the top teams. I mean, we played Juve, who I still consider a top team, even though they're not in the top half of the table yet. But, you know, Milan looks great. Roma are a lot better. Lazio floundering a little bit. But there's, until we play some of those games, Inter are obviously really good this season. So I, I want to see that first before I uh, start thinking about a Scudetto. But Vito, I'm curious to know your thoughts on Osman as well, because, you know, as I mentioned, you you are part of a show that covers the entire league, not just Sampdoria. So I'm curious to know your thoughts. I pretty much agree with the sentiment Sasha had that uh, Osman probably last season, if he was fit, uh, he probably would have really made a greater impact because he did show some potential last season. This season, now that he's fully fit, I think uh, Osiman can really be up there amongst the couple Cannonieri and uh, really make a big impact for Napoli, score plenty of goals and maybe push Napoli for that Scudetto. Uh, if we talk about his characteristics, you know, he's a tall and physical guy, but he's very mobile. He's got good ball control. He's fast. He's a very complete um, striker. You know, everything you'd want from both traditional and modern aspects of the game. So what he showed last season was he was hard for defenders to control that, whether it be on the ground or dealing with aerial balls, even the best defenders had trouble containing him. So he could get the smaller or faster players into play. And I already said he is a, a fast player, but when you've got players like Insigne, Lozano, Politano beside him, his presence just takes out the centre-backs and uh, gives more room for the winger to make more of an impact. And I think if he can be that physical presence as well as set up goals and most importantly, score goals like he has been early this season, yeah, I think he can be one of the biggest stars of the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think most of the people that criticised Osimhen last year were criticising him because they were looking at the stats sheets and maybe not so much watching how he plays and how much he contributes even when he's not scoring and bringing those wingers into the play. And then also they were critical of some of his personal decisions, you know, the way he got COVID going home to celebrate his birthday and so on. The scary thing is he probably could have scored at least one more goal in this match. He had two clear breaks, one very early in the match that was stopped by Odero, and then another in the second half where he missed the target. Vito, do Santoria always play this high line? And were you surprised to see such a high line against a player with the pace that Osman has? More often than not, in the early games so far, they do play with a high defensive line. And I think that's reflective of the attacking philosophy that the Versa has implemented so far. There are some good creative plays in the Sump squad and 
quality finishes. So it's great to see that at least we're maximizing those talents. That being said, when you do play in an attacking style, you're going to leave gaps at the back. But uh, as I've said on the 40 Italian Football podcast and other podcasts I've made appearances on, whenever Sampdoria have defended well in recent years, it's been more or less down to the structure. Whether it's the coach either fixing that defensive line or making sure the team is compact, that's when the defence look good. Individually, the defenders aren't really that great and uh, we really saw that against Napoli. Yoshida is a solid player. He's experienced. He's played for Japan for a long time and he can chip in with some goals or be that presence at set pieces. But he too can be defensively vulnerable and it was shown in this particular game. And uh, also Colley, he can be very hot and cold. Uh, sometimes, you know, he looks like he's, uh, you know, our version of uh, Kalidu Kulibali. In other days, he looks like he's, uh, you know, like the former Liverpool defender, Jimmy Traore, or another erratic defender. So he's got inconsistency issues. Bartosz Zielinski, he's improved in the last two years, but in general, he's a mediocre defender at best. Again, he's probably someone that probably can do a bit better attacking-wise, whereas defensively he's more exposed or he's a bit reluctant to make challenges. And Tommaso Gello is an incredible attacking left-back. I think for that part of his game, I think he should be an outside chance to get into the Italy squad, and I think Mancini should give him a chance because he can put in some good crosses. He's scored a couple goals since joining Samp, and I think he is someone who has that composure on the ball as well as an attacking endeavour. In this game, though, and a few others this season, I think his defensive frailties have been exposed. And uh, Hirving Lozano clearly showed uh, how vulnerable Algelo can be defensively. Yeah, and that was something I was going to ask you as well. If You've kind of answered it already, but I thought that Lozano was getting the better of Algelo on that wing. Uh, Lozano had a, a pretty strong performance. It was only a second start of the season. I mentioned this fitness earlier, but he played a key role on the Fabian Ruiz goal. He made the sort of the pass before the pass, and then he assisted on the third and the fourth goal, all on Algelo, who who wasn't able to block those passes. But I think there was also some some issues with the defense that you've alluded to. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk a little bit about the opening 10 to 20 minutes of the match because... It reminded me a lot of Napoli's previous match against Udinese, where early on we were forced to play a little bit deeper than we generally like to play. And I thought Sampdoria were actually playing pretty well, even though we had that Osman chance in the seventh minute, I think it was, and then the goal in the 10th minute. I thought Sampdoria were playing quite well. Sasha, I'm not sure if you felt the same way, but what did you make of that opening 10 to 20 minutes of the match? Well, I think it, it says a lot about a team that when things might not be going your own way or you're not exactly on the front foot of playing the way you want to play, that you're still able to get out of that and um, nick a goal and, and go on to win the way they did. I agree with the Udinese game. There were similarities there with the start. And Sump as well, you know, they deserve a lot of credit. I think the start of the season, they've been... You know, it's like the game against Inter, they were very good. Um, you know, so they're, they're no easy beats. So I think it says a lot, you know, to score four goals against them. I think they're a very enjoyable team to watch. But, yeah, to get through that, you know, tricky 10, 15-minute period, um, 
And I think a team like Napoli as well, they're always going to manage to get a, or at least create a few chances with their movement and get a goal, which they did. So I think it bodes well for the rest of the season if they're able to get through periods of, of a game like that. It's funny that you mentioned Sampdoria's uh, record. Vito obviously knows this all too well, but it's it was a very difficult schedule to start the season with the likes of Milan, Sassuolo, Inter. You know, Empoli was really the only sort of game you would assume Sampdoria would win, maybe the Sassuolo match, and then you have Napoli. I was looking at the table and the goals for and goals conceded. Before this match, Sampdoria had only scored five goals, which seemed low, but then they had also only conceded, I think, three goals maybe. So you're right, they're they're not necessarily an easy team to score against. They did still create, Sampdoria still created two very good chances in that opening 20 minutes. Uh, there was first a shot, I think, by Adrian Silva that Ospina made a, an incredible save on. And then on the ensuing corner kick, Yoshida got a header on target and, and Ospina kept that out. Vito, how important were those saves? Do you think that could have changed the complexion of this match? I think it did. In addition to the two chances you mentioned, um, Caputo also had a shot saved by Ospina early on. And there were a couple other opportunities later in that first half which uh, Sampdoria could have scored from and probably should have. And uh, we might have had a much closer scoreline. I felt that uh, if Ospina had one of his off days or Napoli were a bit more vulnerable at the back, not only that, if uh, Sampdoria were a bit more clinical and accurate with the finishing, perhaps Sampdoria scored three or four just in that first half because we were creating some of the play. We were creating some good chances and... uh, some did not show they were afraid of Napoli. Unfortunately, what happened was that eventually Sump committed defensive suicide. And also, I've got to give credit to Napoli for the fact that they've got a fantastic squad. And uh, Luciano Spalletti, he's a fantastic coach too. He's an experienced coach. He's got a clear idea of how he wants his teams to play. And I think that's where we really saw that difference. So although Sump thought he had the right ideas going forward, and perhaps we're missing a bit of luck on their part. I think ultimately, when you look at some of the players Napoli have at their disposal and how much experience and knowledge Spalletti has, I think that's where we really saw the difference. We really saw why Napoli could push for that third Scudetto in their history and why Samp uh, more than likely going to finish mid-table, bottom half. So I think it's really more about the individual quality of the squad members of each squad, that made the difference. So, yeah, of course, with the saves, that would have impacted on the momentum of the game. But uh, when you look at those hypotheticals and what-ifs, sometimes it's also best to think, you know, there's a reason why Napoli won by the four goals. So I can put it down to poor defending as well. But uh, if I talk about Napoli in general, just it's a fantastic squad that they have and, uh, I think having Spalletti there is an uh, ideal fit. Yeah, you've touched on a few different points that I want to get to. One of my notes at halftime that I posted on Twitter was that, at least in the first half, the difference was the goalkeeping because we had that error by Audero and then we had Ospina make the big save. And I, I do think that could have made a big difference. But I agree. You look at Napoli's earlier games this season, prior to the Udinese game, none of them have been that easy we had Osman sent off and Zelensky get hurt against Venezia and so we had to play through that fortunately it was Venezia and not a stronger team 
with all due respect to Venezia, we gave up a lead against Genoa and managed to score a late winner. We fell behind against Juve and came back again, scored a late winner. And we fell two goals behind against Leicester City and, and fought our way back. And a lot of people are giving credit to Spalletti. And I think rightfully so. You mentioned adding him to what is a very deep squad and one that hasn't really changed from last season. We added Angisa, who's been a really important player, as it turns out. But a lot of people are giving Spalletti credit for finally changing the mentality of this club because that's been an issue for a long time where when we put ourselves in those situations in the past, we wouldn't be able to fight our way back out of it. And so far, we've been able to do that. And I think that's another reason why now Napoli is being included in the discussion for a Scudetto contender. The other point I wanted to address was the defending. It seemed to me that on some of these goals, even though I felt that Aujalo was outmatched by Lozano, I don't necessarily blame him for any of the goals. I felt like on some of them, the marking just wasn't tight enough in the area. Did you feel the same way? Yes, and that pretty much alludes to what I was uh, pointing out earlier, that in general, Sampdoria aren't the best team defensively, and the defenders as individuals aren't particularly fantastic. It's up to the coaches to really get a good structure there or a sufficient game plan that will mask those weaknesses. Like I said, I do like Algello very much. I'm a big fan of him. But again, it's from an attacking standpoint. When we do see those crosses come in, though, we do have to hold the centre-backs to account or even the central midfielders to drop back because Morton Torsby is usually good at helping out the back and giving some protection. And uh, Adrian Silva is an experienced player, so you'd think that uh, he'd be able to read the play better and be aware of the situation. But sometimes... In moments like that, Yoshida and Colley, they looked like they were training cones, basically. If we talk about the second goal, actually, I was going to say, the Fabian Ruiz strike, we could say that uh, Aldero was, uh, you know, unsighted, and it looked like that Yoshida had obstructed his view, but uh, perhaps Aldero should have uh, moved his body more. But uh, another way of looking at it is that... uh, Yoshida was just standing there. He was just trying to read the play, but there was no movement whatsoever. And uh, Napoli know how to move the ball quickly, not just uh, effectively and intelligently, but they can move the ball quick. It's not just about the speed in their legs. Also, the ball circulation can be very fast too. And also with the other goals, you know, it was a well, well laid cross for the third goal by Lozano to Ozyman. But again, someone should be able to anticipate that cross and also block uh, the path to goal for Ossiman. And then the fourth goal, Zielinski, perhaps some just said, forget it, it's game over. But again, there were a few few numbers back in that sump defensive third. So I don't want to make it too much like I'm discrediting Napoli because Napoli show they can play uh, exciting football. They move intelligently. They've got some excellent creative players, but uh, it also shows that... Uh, Sump's defensive vulnerabilities uh, were there on show. And uh, this is what the Versa needs to work on. And although Juve have had a poor start of the season by their standards, Sampdoria still have to be aware of Juve. They still got good players and uh, they can't make the same mistakes against Bianconeri. So, yeah, quite a few things uh, the Versa and the squad have to work on until the two sides play each other on Sunday. On the third goal, the Osman's second goal, I thought 
seemed like there were three Sampdoria players sort of in the area, but no one actually picked up the run. And then I agree on the fourth goal. The team probably had given up at that point, but you mentioned the midfielders helping out and you can't give Zelitsky a, a free shot from that, that area. That said, I think our finishing was really good in this match. One of my keys to the match in my preview was that with how good Audero is in goal, we need to make sure we pick the corners because if you give him a chance to make the save, he's probably going to make those saves. First goal aside, you kind of proved me wrong on that one. But I thought Fabian picked the corner on his shot. Zielinski picked the corner on his and and he thumped it. I mean, that was practically unsavable. Um, So the finishing was great. Sasha, I'm, I'm biased, but I'm curious to know from a neutral perspective, but when players like Insigne and, and Lozano are finding their teammates like they did in this match, and when guys like Fabian and Zelinski are finishing like that, is there any way to stop this Napoli side? Well, that's the thing, you know, we can talk about defending and should they be doing better, but sometimes you just got to just sit back and say, you know, just watching all because there's moments in games that you just can't stop. You know, you obviously you want to improve, but when you got, you're coming up against players like that, and I don't want to harp too much about Insigne because I've pretty much made my position clear on him that he should be resigned ASAP. Fabian's finish, by the way, was incredible. I don't think people realise, you know, you can smash a goal into the top corner, but actually that placement bottom corner out of the goalkeeper's reach isn't easy. So to do that was incredible. So, yeah, sometimes as a neutral, just to, to watch that, um, waking up at 2 a.m. in the morning and you know being treated to that was worth the alarm. But yeah, they're just such a, a, a pleasing team to watch, and you know their depth uh, is clear to see. It's tough for you know other teams to compete with that. And I think that's why they should be. In the, you know, you don't want to go too far ahead. Um, but when you have a, a team like Napoli's with an experienced manager like Spalletti, you, you have to sort of dream a bit. And I don't see why they can't compete, and not just for the Champions League, but for for the Scudetto. So um, I know you want to say sort of grounded, and don't, you know, don't get too excited, but. I just think you know they haven't lost too many players, and they've they managed to keep you know Koulibaly, who isn't just scoring goals, he's you know creating goals and taking photos in the stands and doing everything. You know, he's a club photographer, so I think he's a key as well. So, if I'm an Napoli fan, I'd be yeah, quietly excited about you know what's unfolding so far. Yeah, I want to go back to Fabian for a second because I feel like Spalletti is putting in in a position to succeed and. I mentioned Angisa earlier and, and Vito, I want to get your thoughts on, on that signing because he seems to have really unlocked the potential of Fabian who prior to having Angisa was playing with Lobotka, with Deme, who are guys that are a bit smaller. So I think Fabian had to take on more of a defensive responsibility. Now that he's playing with a bigger, stronger holding midfielder in Angisa, Fabian is able to play as more of a box-to-box midfielder and and he's getting himself into positions where he's very dangerous to shoot from, which is sort of in that center third of the pitch. And we saw it even against Udinese. He didn't score, but he hit the upright. He scored earlier in the season. So I think Anguisa has been a big part of unlocking Fabian's potential. But Vito, I'm curious to know uh, your thoughts on what you've seen from Anguisa so far. Anguisa's been a fantastic signing, I saw him in the Juve game, and I thought he was good. But in this game, he really impressed me. Not just because he's got that physical strength and that ability to win the ball back for Napoli. But what I like about him is that he's actually got some excellent ball control. He probably should have scored a goal in the second half as well. He knows how to dribble. He'll bring out the party tricks too. And uh, he doesn't lose the ball in dangerous positions as well. So even if he does try anything flashy... It hasn't been detrimental yet and resulted 
in Napoli conceding a goal from a counter-attack. A goal like him, I think he offers a lot in both phases of the game, defensively and offensively. To have a goal like him is beneficial for Fabian Ruiz because although we did see in previous years that he could distribute the ball and score those goals from outside of the penalty area, I think those other guys like Demme and Lobotka, they are pretty simplistic in their technique. Um, Demme, he was a good passer of the ball, but again, it's more about you know keeping it simple, be effective, and that's it. He doesn't have a big passing range. Lobotka, from what I heard, he was doing good in pre-season, but uh, before Spalletti arrived, I thought he was a terrible signing. That uh, He was a player that couldn't even complete a simple pass. So I thought, was Marek Hamšík just trying to talk good about his compatriot from uh, Slovakia, or is there really a player there? But maybe under Spalletti, he could play a role, but uh, he's definitely no match for Zembo and Guisa. Like I said, with the skills Zumbo and Guisa has on the ball, I think it makes it easier for Napoli to play in a more fluid manner. And when he's not doing the ball-winning stuff, he can contribute offensively. He's not just uh, screening in the midfield. He can link up with Fabian Ruiz or the other Napoli players. In a way, I feel bad for Lobotka because, yes, he, he was terrible last season or you know, season and a half under Gattuso, but... He did look very good under Spalletti. He lost a bunch of weight and he was starting at the beginning of the season because Demme got hurt in the preseason and he was playing really well. And I fear that he may have lost his position now, but we'll have to see how Spalletti manages the team. Obviously, there are a lot of games to play between Europa League, Serie A, and then eventually uh, Coppa Italia. Sasha, do you want to add anything about the play of Anguisa? Have you been able to see him play much? Yeah, I have. I think it's probably more so focuses on Fabian because I think by his own admissions, probably last season was a you know a frustrating one. You know, he did you know still chip in and have a decent decent season, but in terms of you know his first sort of year in Napoli, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle. So we're seeing the best of him now thanks to this signing. Um, you know, we talk about Lobotka. I, I, I agree with Vito on this one. I, I, as soon as I saw him the first time, it just didn't impress me. Um, just the, the basics, and obviously he's dropped a bit of weight, but, you know, pre-season's different to, you know, playing competitive football. You might play a role throughout the season, it's a long season with the Cups and all that, but, I, I, yeah, I don't, not really impress him at all. I don't think that's one that's worked out too well. But it's just great to see Fabian being unleashed and playing, you know, in his favourite position. There's so much talk about him returning to the Liga. I hope for, you know, Napoli's sake, and you know, fans of just, you know, City Iron generally, they'll stick around because when he's in that kind of form, you know, he's great to watch and be a key driver for Napoli. So this signing's definitely unlocked, you know, the, the keys to Fabian once again, which is great for Spalletti. Yeah, in a way we got really lucky. At first, Napoli fans, myself included, thought we were pretty unlucky with how things played out because he didn't have the greatest season last season. And then he went to the Euros with Spain and hardly played. And then the clubs that were interested in him who were basically Barcelona and Real Madrid one of them, Barcelona, in a financial crisis, so there was no way they could afford to pay for him. And then Real Madrid bought Camavinga, I believe it was, so there was no need for Fabian. And we kind of felt like that was our transfer strategy, you know, sell Fabian for 60 million euros and use that money to buy a left back and another central midfielder. We weren't able to do that, and now it's turning out to be great for us because he really is playing some of his best football. Last question before I let you guys go. It's obviously difficult to find any positives for Sampdoria fans in a 4-0 loss, but 
Vito, were there any positive takeaways from this match for you? Not a lot, obviously, but uh, from what I saw, I watched the whole game, but uh, looking at how Stump played, uh, it shows that at least going forward, there is something. I think if uh, we face against goalkeepers who probably didn't play as well as Ospina, or if our shooting technique improves, I think we can still score a lot of goals. Fabio Cuellarella looks like he's in a bit of a decline, but uh, bringing Chicho Caputo has been fantastic. And the other players like Candreva and um, Damsgaard, if they can uh, get involved in the scoring too, that'd be wonderful as well. So I think in terms of our attacking play, there's a lot to like. I just think we've got to become more prolific defensively. We've talked about many times it's uh, no, it's forward, but uh, it's more the attacking part. So look at the statistics. We lost by four goals, but shots was 17 to 13. So a difference of four and even shots on target nine to five, a difference of four again. So you could say that the four goals were the major difference, but uh, Sampdoria showed that they are capable of playing attacking football, putting a show on for the fans and creating chances. Now they just got to learn to be clinical and keep putting those chances away because that could be the difference between being uh, in the top half of the table or struggling in the bottom half. Yeah, for me, the positive or the one positive was Antonio Candreva. I think he's had a, a very good start to the season. And I thought he was one of, if not Santoria's best player in this match. He was you know, doing his best to create chances. He was playing in crosses. He seemed to drift into the middle of the park a bit more than he typically does. And that's usually a sign of uh, a veteran player trying to make something happen, right? And maybe it's not always the best idea because they pull themselves out of position to try to get the ball and make things happen. But he played a big role in this one. He he even scored a goal that was disallowed, and he was kind of involved in the buildup to that goal that was disallowed for offside. I guess the nice thing about these midweek fixtures is that you don't really have much time to dwell on them because the next match is only a few days later. You mentioned Juve's next. Diversa said in his post-match uh, conference that he's pissed off and disappointed, but he'll take that anger out on the pitch on Sunday against Juventus, which was music to my ears as an Napoli fan. So I think that's where we'll leave it. I want to thank both of our guests for joining us today. Vito, thank you so much. You're welcome, Joe. Sasha, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure as always. Oh, the pleasure is mine, and hopefully we can have you guys on again soon. You can find both of our guests on Twitter. Vito is at Vito C. Doria. Sasha is at Sash K0. That's S-A-C-H-K-0. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview the Cagliari match.
Next, let's preview our match on Sunday against Cagliari. Cagliari come into this match second from bottom of the table with only two points through five rounds. They opened the season with a 2-2 draw to Spezia, then they lost 4-1 to Milan in Milano and 3-2 to Genoa at home. It's hard to draw too much from those results because after the Genoa match, Tommaso Giulini sacked Leonardo Semplici and replaced him with ex-Napoli coach Walter Mazzari, but the results haven't really changed that much. Cagliari tied Lazio 2-2, which is a great result, but it was also a match that Cagliari were winning 2-1, and then they tried to defend for half an hour. That's not a huge shock under Mazzari, but as we've talked about with Juve, that's very difficult to do in today's Serie A, and Lazio found the equalizer with less than 10 minutes left to play. Cagliari followed up that performance with a very disappointing 2-0 loss to Empoli. I like Empoli, I think they're a very good team, but Cagliari did very little to impress me in this match. Other than the first 15 minutes of the second half where Kita Balde hit the upright, I thought Empoli were the better side. After the second goal, which was an absolute rocket by Leo Stulatz, Cagliari looked resigned to the loss. Nahita Nandes was the only player still fighting for a result, and at 2-0 down, Empoli were still a team that created the better chances, hitting the bar and the upright. For Napoli, this is our first match at home since our win over Juve two weeks ago. Not to get ahead of myself, but I think we're very fortunate to get matches against Cagliari and Spartak Moscow at the tail end of a very busy stretch of games. What that means is Spalletti can rotate his players without making too drastic of a change to his starting 11. What I mean by that is he can rotate two or three players in each of these matches. So when we play Fiorentina after Spartak Moscow, which I think will be our first real test of the season, at least half of the starting 11 will be well rested. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Since Walter Mazzari took over Cagliari, they have played in a 4-4-2 with Alessio Cranio in goal. Luca Cepitelli and Andrea Carbone are the preferred options at centre-back. Charalampos Likoyanis plays at left-back and Martin Cassidis plays at right-back. Razvan Marin and Alessandro Deola start in the double pivot. Dalbert plays on the left wing and Naitan Nandes plays on the right wing. Finally, Joao Pedro and Kitabal, they start together up top. For Napoli, I think we'll see Spalletti line up in a 4-2-3-1 once again. David Ospina should start again in goal. There's absolutely no need to rush Alex Meret back given how well Ospina has been playing. With Emir Rachmani leaving the Sampdoria game, Kostas Manolas will almost certainly start at center back alongside Kalidou Koulibaly. Mario Rui is still relatively fresh after not playing against Leicester City, so I suspect he will start again at left back. I'd love to see Kevin Malqui start at right back, but I think we'll see Giovanni Di Lorenzo start again. We're still very thin in the midfield, so Frank Anguisa and Fabian Ruiz will likely start again in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne only played 68 minutes against Sampdoria, so he should be good to start in his usual position on the left wing. I think Matteo Politano will return to the starting 11 to start over Chucky Lozano on the right wing. Piotr Zelinski also played only 68 minutes against Sampdoria, so I think he will start as well. I think both Insignia and Zelinski are guys that will probably rest against Spartak Moscow. Finally, I think we'll see Victor Osiman start again up top. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to press high. Both Lazio and Empoli had success pressing Caliati and forcing turnovers. I think that will be a very good way to get Osiman involved in the game for a couple of reasons. First, with his pace and long strides, he can close defenders and the keeper quicker than most players can. We've seen it time and time again where opponents seem to underestimate how quickly he can get there and they often get themselves into trouble because of that. 
The other reason is because I fully expect Cagliari to play a low block. That means Osimhen will have less space to work in. As we talked about in part 1, he thrives against teams that play a high line. He's still good against teams that play deep, but he tends not to score as much in those games. By pressing high, I think we can win the ball back with Cagliari pushing up, meaning Osimhen will have more space to do damage. My second key to the match is we need to stop Naita Nandez. After a bit of an offseason last year, he seems to have returned to form this season. He's usually the hardest working player on the pitch. Now, Nandez plays on the right side of that 4-4-2, which means he'll be matched up against Mario Rui, assuming Mario Rui starts. I've praised Mario Rui for his play so far this season, and he deserves that praise, but this could be his toughest matchup yet. So far, he's been matched up against Dennis Johnson, Paolo Guilione, Federico Bernardeschi, and Nahuel Molina. They're not necessarily bad players. Actually, I think Johnson and Molina are both excellent, but Nandez is a level above both of them. All this means, though, is we'll need other players to support Mario Rui, and now we have plenty of players to do that. We used to have to depend on Koulibaly to cover both positions, but under Gattuso, our wingers learned how to get back to help defense when Insigne can help out there, but most importantly, we now have Ingisa, who can support that side as well. My final key to the match is we need to limit Cagliari's chances. I don't think Cagliari will have many chances, but with a player like João Pedro, they're more than capable of taking them. We saw that in the Lazio match, Cagliari had three shots on target and scored two of them. The second one was basically a tap-in for Keita Balde, but the first one was a brilliant pass by Razvan Marin, and perhaps an even better finish by João Pedro. As I said earlier, Balde hit the upright in the Empoli match, so he's another player to keep an eye on. Obviously, we can't expect to score four goals every match, but this is a match where we could easily score three or four. If we can score an early goal, the game will open up and that will only help Victor Osiman. If we score at least three goals, this match is almost a guaranteed victory. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Napoli win. I'll give the Napoli goals to Insigne, Osiman, and Zielinski, and I'll give the Cagliari goal to Joao Pedro. I was tempted to pick another draw because that seemed to work well for the Sampdoria match, but I got a lot of flack for my negativity. It was all in good fun though, I have no problem with that. In all seriousness though, while no games are a given in Serie A, this is a match we really should have no problem winning. Our squad is miles ahead of Cagliari, and at this point in their respective careers, I think our manager is miles ahead of Cagliari's as well. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and give us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back next week to review this match and to preview our Europa League match against Spartak Moscow. But until then... I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Semper. Oh, 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 oh,
corazón un destruye su lago la Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.